listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A very good Tuesday show for you. You know what? We're not going to wait much longer at all. You're going to get it today. My stone-cold lead pipe, 1,000 gazillion billion star NFL totals play of the year. (laughs) It's coming today, and I'll tell you all about it. I mentioned something in the open yesterday that I never even got around to talking to. Totally blanked on that. So we're going to talk about it today. And that's the Orioles broadcaster who was suspended for two weeks for reading a statistic, basically, on the air. He came out and addressed his situation, and I've got some thoughts on it. James Harden came out and said the owner, the general manager, excuse me, of the Philadelphia 76ers is a liar and he'll never play for him. Only problem is Philadelphia just said over the weekend, we're not trading James Harden. So this should go well. And finally, an unbelievable story about the blind side. The movie The Blind Side, remember, with Sandra Bullock and that whole story about the white family that adopted the black homeless teenager who was in foster care and all that story, Michael Oher and all that. Yeah, apparently it's all fake. (laughs) This is unreal. We'll get to all that momentarily. All right, let's just get right to it. Yesterday, I was talking about over-under win totals in the NFL. I said I'm leaning towards the Jets under. If you if you want to bet the Jets over-under season win total, I said lean. I'm leaning towards the under just because they've had one winning season since 2011, and their season win total is 9-5. and five. They have to go 10-7 and seven, uh, for you to win that bet this year if you want to bet the over. So just sticking with the numbers and sticking with tradition and statistics for the last 11 years – uh, they don't go. They don't win ten games. They just. They just don't. They're in a tough division. They have a tough out of conference uh, opponents this year. So uh, I'm just. I would lean towards the under. Uh, I also said for the Steelers, lean towards the over. Their total is eight and a half, which means they have to go nine and eight or better. Mike Tomlin has been coaching the Steelers. I forget the number of years. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. He's never had a losing record as head coach of the Steelers, and you can't even be five hundred anymore because it's a seventeen game schedule. So can the Steelers go 9-8 and eight this year? I think so. That's why I like the Steelers over. However, there is one team that is going to be my biggest bet of this season for a future. I'm not going to bet them to win the Super Bowl, but I am going to bet them to uh, – I am going to bet their win total. And I'm going to – and I'll start here. I think most of us would agree. There might be some debate at number five or six, but – Most people that follow football and the people that cover it, people that write about it, would say that if I were to ask you to name the top six quarterbacks in the NFL, in no particular order, I'd say most of them would throw out Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. Maybe some people will have an issue with Lamar Jackson being in the top six, but I think he's close. Maybe you put, you know, Trevor Lawrence in there at six and Lamar at seven, whatever. But I would say those top five are pretty solid. I think most people would say Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Hurts, and Herbert. But if you include Lamar, those top six, my team that I like this year, an NFL season win total, my team doesn't play any of those six teams. My team also is in the worst quarterback division in football. Everybody you know plays six division games because there's four divisions in each conference with four teams in each division. So three other teams, you play one at home and you play one on the road. The six games 
that my team plays in division are against a second-year quarterback in Desmond Ritter, a rookie quarterback in Bryce Young, and a team either quarterbacked by Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. The toughest quarterbacks my team faces this season are Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, Trevor Lawrence, and Kirk Cousins, once each. If you haven't figured it out by now, my team that I like to exceed their win total is the New Orleans Saints. Right now, they are at 9.5, and the over is actually plus money. You're getting plus 113. I like the over on the Saints for everything I just told you. They avoid the six best quarterbacks in the league. They play in a horrible division, the worst division probably in football. Maybe outside of the AFC South. Probably on par with AFC South in terms of quarterbacking. But they bring in Derek Carr, who, say what you want about Derek Carr, he took the Raiders to the Super Bowl two years ago, and the guy can throw out of his ass. He'll throw for 4,000 yards in New Orleans. The only things that worry me, obviously outside of injury, we can't talk and predict injuries that somebody's going to go out for the season. But outside of injury, there's three things that kind of have me a little bit worried. Alvin Kamara suspended for, I believe it's three or four games. I don't know how good of a head coach Dennis Allen is. He's never really been very good. His overall record stinks. And the fact that they only have eight home games and nine road games this year. With that said, it's not like I'm asking the New Orleans Saints to go 13-4. and four. They can still lose seven games for me to win my bet. Just go 10-7. and seven. I think at worst they go 4 and 2 in the division. At worst. They go 4 and 2 in the division. That means they just have to go 6 and 5 in their other 11 games. I think it's very very possible. They are the best team in the division on paper. They have the best quarterback. They arguably have the best defense in that in that division. I just they should they should win 10 games. And when I saw that schedule for them, I'm like, wow. I mean, here's their quarterbacks that they face this year, just running down all 17. I'll even repeat when they play the division teams. Ryan Tannehill, Bryce Young, Jordan Love, Baker or Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, Davis Mills or C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, Anthony Richardson, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, Desmond Ritter, Jared Goff, Bryce Young again, Daniel Jones, Matt Stafford, Trask or Baker, Desmond Ritter. I mean, it's all there. If they don't win 10 games, it's because a major injury happened or Dennis Allen just truly does suck as a head coach because this team is built to win that division, and I, I think they can be better than 9-8. and eight. They got to go 10 and 7. So that's who I'm on this year. That's going to be my biggest season win total in the NFL. I'm going to bet the Saints over 9.5. And, and I think you should too. Now, you can bet what you want. I'm not telling you you have to make it your biggest one or whatever, but I laid out for you why I like them. I think these are pretty solid reasons. Um, I, I, we just know rookie quarterbacks don't do well. I just don't think Carolina wins more than five or six games this year. 
I don't think that Desmond Ritter is some world beater in Atlanta. And Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask, what's the saying? If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Well, that's the Bucs this year. Look, the Bucs are basically having a stopgap year. They're probably in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. I think the Bucs, if they get off to a bad start, are basically going to tank the season in hopes to get Caleb Williams in the draft next year. So that's who I like. Saints over nine and a half wins plus 113 right now. So we talked last week about this bizarre story about the Orioles suspending play-by-play guy Kevin Brown because before a game in Tampa Bay, he talked about the fact that the Orioles were 0-15-1 in their last 16 series against the Tampa Bay Rays. That wasn't an opinion. That was fact. Then all of a sudden, he wasn't on the air for two weeks. And it was reported by numerous outlets it was because he brought this up during a pregame show. Well, Kevin Brown is back broadcasting for the Orioles and released a statement. I'm going to I'm going to read this statement really fast. It's three and a half paragraphs. O's fans, I'm a storyteller, never want to be part of the story. The most compelling story in baseball now is the story of the league-leading Baltimore Orioles, the best, most exciting young team in the American League. Unfortunately, recent media reports have mischaracterized my relationship with the adopted hometown Orioles. The fact is I have a wonderful relationship with the organization and our ownership and front office has fully supported me since 2019 when I first came aboard. I ask that everyone disregard the distracting noise the past few days. I have worked closely with O's Senior Vice President Greg Bader for the past four years and John Angelos and I have a solid dialogue based on the mutual respect. We are all good here in Birdland. I am proud to be an Oriole and call Baltimore home, and there is no place in baseball I'd rather be now than for the long haul. Go O's. Okay, at no point during that did you bother to bring up the fact that you were taken out of your job for two weeks. I know he's saying like, hey, basically that almost sounded like a hostage letter. Told to him and by the Orioles said, here, you need to post this. Because I'm guessing when he was out of work for two weeks, he wasn't getting paid. I can't believe that was his statement. He didn't bother to tell anybody what happened. Hey, just don't worry about the distractions. O's are in first place. Go O's. Like, oh my gosh, that that totally sounded. I mean, I feel bad for the kid. Because I guarantee you that wasn't his own words. And if it was his own words, it was definitely handed to the Orioles before it was allowed to be published. And they said either yay or nay. And whatever he turned in first probably wasn't that. Because I got to believe he wants to address, hey, you're the play-by-play guy for the Orioles. Why weren't you on the air for two weeks? This makes no sense. And at no point during that statement did he even address it. Why he wasn't on the air. He just said, you know, recent media reports have mischaracterized my relationship with the adopted hometown Orioles. Nobody questioned your relationship with the Orioles. You weren't on the air for two weeks. What do you mean we were questioning your relationship with them? They took you off the air. Why aren't you allowed to say why you weren't on the air? I feel bad for this kid. If I'm I'm him, I look for new employment in the offseason. And as most broadcasters said when he was suspended for those two weeks and everyone was starting to find out why he was suspended – and everyone was coming to Kevin Brown's defense, they said, look, the Orioles should, if the Orioles let him go, there's 29 other teams that would pick him up in a heartbeat. Man, if I'm him, I move on. 
I, I can't believe after that, that was his statement. It really did sound like a hostage letter. Are you kidding me with that? All it was was sucking up to the Orioles, talking about what a great relationship he has with everybody. Apparently not. They felt the need to suspend you for two weeks for you reading a statistic on the air. That was just crazy. How weird, but that was his statement. And if I'm him, I find new employment this offseason. This NBA note is just flat-out hilarious. Over the weekend on Saturday, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the 76ers planned on bringing James Harden back uh, to training camp for the start of the season, that they weren't going to trade him just for the sake of trading him. Well, then James Harden, who's currently at an Adidas media event in China, said yesterday, quote, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be part of an organization that he's part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. End quote. That wasn't me just repeating myself from the first sentence. That was me saying exactly what James Harden said. He said it twice so people couldn't misconstrue what he said. So here we are. The Sixers say we're bringing him back. We're not trading him. And he's saying, I will. I mean, clearly he doesn't want to play for a team where he doesn't respect the general manager and just called the general manager a liar. Now what happens? Is any team going to take him? James Harden has proven in his career that, well, in his prime, he was a great regular season player, almost unstoppable from the point guard position. However, he has failed time and time and time again when it has come to the playoffs. I think people look at James Harden and realize he is not a winner. He's not somebody that your team rallies around and plays behind. He's a me-me guy. So I don't even know why Philly wants him in the first place, but that's their decision. I'd be willing to get word of this guy at 50 cents on the dollar at this point. But by James Harden now saying that, what is Philly going to get for him? Everybody knows he wants out of Philly. So why would you give up anything remotely worthwhile to get James Harden on your team? Yes, 10 times all-star, but he's not a winner. This guy has walked out of three different teams that he's been on. Three. It's when he decides he wants to leave, he says, I want out. He wanted out of Houston. He wanted out of Brooklyn. Now he wants out of Philly. He got his wish in Houston. He got his wish in Brooklyn. Now he wants it again in Philly. This guy is an enigma. You can't be a winning team with James Harden playing major minutes and being a major part of your starting five. It's just not going to happen. But yet here he is demanding a trade, and who wants him? The guy's never happy, ever. And for him to call out the Sixers GM like that, or president, Daryl Morey, good luck. Good luck, Sixers. Either you're going to play a game of chicken with him and be like, okay, well, we're not going to trade you just for the sake of trading you, so we'll call your bluff. You don't want to play and you think our president, Daryl Morey, sucks, then you won't show up to training camp and we'll just, you won't get paid. But we're not trading you just for the sake of trading you. I mean, Harden made it clear in that quote, he's never going to play and be part of an organization that Daryl Morey is a part of. So, 
doesn't sound like this is a guy that in a month, six weeks, is going to show up to training camp and be like, yeah, let bygones be bygones. Let's do this, Sixers. Let's run it back. No fucking way. He's out. I just don't know what the Sixers are going to get for him. I mean, they're not even, I don't even think they get 50 cents on the dollar at this point. And if you're another team trading for James Harden, you don't offer more than 50 cents on the dollar. This is going to be fascinating watching this play out come training camps at the end of September. And boy, oh boy, did you see this story with the blindside kid, Michael Ower? Remember the movie? I mean, we all do. Sandra Bullock. Hell, it was up for best picture. Sandra Bullock, I believe, either was up for best actress or won best actress for portraying the mother, Leanne Tui. The story goes that Michael Orr, who was adopted out of poverty by a wealthy white family, ended up going to Ole Miss and getting drafted into the NFL. They literally made a movie called The Blind Side about it. Well, according to court documents and a 14-page petition uh, filed in Tennessee probate court, it's now alleging that Sean and Leanne Tui who took them, who took Ower into their home when he was a high school student, they never adopted him. Instead, right after he turned 18, they tricked him into signing a document that made them his conservators, which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name. And it's been followed up with yesterday. Somebody saw the documents and said, yeah, I saw the documents, including the one today. Michael Katz, who is, uh, uh, he writes for the Old Miss uh, Athletics. He's a sports writer of the year, formerly in Wyoming. He tweeted this yesterday. I've gathered the legal documents relating to Michael Ower and the Tui family regarding adoption conservatorship. The most recent one was filed today in Shelby County, Tennessee. The others are from December 2004 and indicate the Tuies were in fact appointed conservators. Holy shit. If this ends up being all true and he wasn't and and there, you know, because there's going to be so many things said and they're going to say he knew he was signing a conservatorship and he's going to say, no, I didn't thought you were adopting me. Like, does an 18 year old really know the difference between adoption and conservatorship? That's another thing that's probably going to be disputed. Whatever the case may be, if this ends up being true and the two knew it all along that they were taking over his conservatorship because they wanted to make money off the kid. I can guarantee you that movie's getting taken off Disney plus and that movie's getting canceled. And I mean, you can't blame the actors and actresses who signed up to act in it because most people, again, you immediately think naturally you give the benefit of doubt to people. Why would anybody think back in 2000, uh, you know, four that the two didn't actually adopt him that they had signed him to a conservatorship so they can control his money. I mean, this, if you read the story and you read what he has said, um, Michael Orr has basically made nothing off the movie while the two have. He, you know, obviously he was close to the family because they did take him in and then to find out after the fact you were never even adopted and they were just assigned your conservators. I mean, this is this is a big deal. 
and it's going to be a major sports story if it plays out and the two E's were basically, I don't know, I guess accused of this. They're defrauding him. I mean, this is fraud. And can they be sued? Can they be asked to return all monies associated with the blind side? I don't know how it's going to work with what can happen to them legally. But it's right there in writing. They never adopted him. (laughs) The whole movie was about (laughs) the fact that this white Christian family brought in this black homeless kid and adopted him and made him part of their family. There is a major difference between adoption and conservatorship. If he was adopted, he would have been a legal member of their family and he would have retained power to handle his own financial affairs. Under a conservatorship, he would be surrendering that authority to the Tuies, even though he was a legal adult with, adult with no known physical or psychological disabilities. The other thing he's saying now is how he was portrayed in the movie. They made it seem like he was dumb and he was slow and he was behind when he was actually an, a really good student. I, this is this is just ugly. But if this family knew what they were doing and tricked him into thinking he was being adopted, but instead made him sign conservatorship papers, they are a piece of trash. And they should be dealt with accordingly. This is not the first we will hear of this story, or certainly not the last we'll hear of this story. But this is this is some big news. Just because the movie ended up being a movie that people loved. It was up for best picture. Sandra Bullock was up for best actress. This wasn't just some like indie film that made $500. Like this is a major motion picture based on what we're seeing right now is to be a lie. That's incredible. Anyway, we'll definitely keep you updated on that story as we hear more and more as the weeks go on. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me in Apple podcasts. Also rate and review. If you can, The Daily Roundup is up in the Reality Steve podcast feed. Check that out if you're interested. And we'll be back tomorrow with yet another Sports Daily. Thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!